Hello and welcome to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I'm your host, Jonathan Humphrey. In this episode, we will be covering the album Secret House Against the World by Buck65. While Buck65 is known as a rapper, this album pulls heavily on his influences from country music, as well as influences from other places, and features a lot of guest musicians, including Tim Rudely of Caliphone and Red Red Meat. The album was released in 2005, and depending on how you look at it, is about the 10th album that Buck65 put out. Buck65's first release came out in 1994, and his final one came out in 2015, and he's been on hiatus ever since. That puts this album right in the middle of his discography, really. My guest today is Sarah Mulrow, my significant other and co-podcaster on Bite of Passage. And we had a very good time talking about this album, and we hope you'll enjoy this discussion. with Sarah Mulrow. Sarah, how are you today? Doing good. Excellent. Well, you know, I'm excited to talk about this album with you, but before we do that, do you have anything to promote, recommend, or make aware of? Well, I have something to promote for both of us. For people who don't know, Jonathan and I are part of another podcast called Bite of Passage, along with our friends Jacqueline and David, where we read the Twilight Saga and discuss Twilight. By now, the episode should be going right. A couple episodes, yeah. So we should be a couple episodes deep. It's uh, generally a funnier show than this show. Don't I make it funny when I appear on your show, though? Well, I mean, there's funny moments within this show, but I think there's less to make fun of in this show than there is at Twilight. That's true. We're not making fun, but there's there's aspects of hilarity. Fair enough. Well, let's just start right at the beginning. The first thing. Buck 65, Secret House Against the World. What do you think the title means? Well, uh, give me a second, pull up my notes. I actually have a section of my notes titled, meaning of the title. (laughs) (laughs) So I was well prepared for this. I'm taking it quite literally, like secrets inside a home, the ugly realities of what that may be, abuse of loneliness, being lost, adultery, etc., All these implying that home is yourself. Because I felt overall this album, there was the theme of like wandering and and not knowing who, like where you are, not feeling like there's a place. And, you know, home is often a place in most people's eyes, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. And so maybe it's kind of a play on it's you against the world. Like you yourself are home. So it's like secret. You know what I'm saying? That makes a lot of sense. And I agree. One way that I can see it, it's not necessarily how it feels to me, but it almost feels like a goal to all the wandering as almost like there's a search for this secret house. I could see that. I don't think that's necessarily it, but yeah, I do agree that the the secret house is, is very much like, I am a secret house. I am the only thing. My home is where the heart is. I am, Mm -hmm. that's me. So I definitely agree with that. Well, you touched up on some of the themes, the big themes of this album. I want to say, I feel like another thing going concurrent with stuff you were saying about the wandering and the loneliness and and darkness of relationships and other things, there's also a theme of being bored with the contemporary. Yeah, I was going to say, it's interesting because this album is Reference City. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I made the joke. I made the joke and don't hate me because, you know... 
<laughs> but I made the joke to myself, is his one of his favorite shows Gilmore Girls? It has to be. Like, for all the references made throughout this. But it's references in a way that's just, like, not mocking them, but just, like, disdainfully acknowledging them, but using it in his art in in a beneficial way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is very referential for sure. And the references are all over the place, too. It's not one specific thing, historic, political, cultural. Yeah. I was going to say one of the things that stuck out to me, but that's probably just because we're getting closer to the election, is that a lot of the political references were jumping out at me. Yeah, that's fair. So how would you describe the music of this album? Uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's weird. You introduced this music to me before, like, well before we said that we'd talk about this album. And, <laughs> like, I'm not going to hurt your feelings, but music and Jonathan equals weird music. So it's weird, but not in a bad way. Weird doesn't have to mean, like, weird and, like, uh, I'm avoiding that at all costs. It's weird in that it's different. And I think in a time when country has really, like, gone away from its original roots, contemporary country is really just pop with like a southern twist to it the way i have it in my notes the best way to describe this album is it's hip-hop fused with country orchestral and punk and new wave yeah i don't know how to just honestly that's why i was like oh when he, he said how do you describe it because i don't know there's just so much involved with it it's not one thing and i think that's good that you should not that i don't know to me, that's impressive when you can't really pinpoint what it is exactly. One thing it does very effectively is that it it allows a really great balance of energy through the album. Like this album, even if you don't like the song, the feelings through the album never get stale with the music. It changes it up enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really successful. But that's something else you were talked about, country. And it's funny going back and listening to this album because nowadays contemporary country is a lot more hip hop influenced than country was at the time that this album came out. In certain aspects, yeah. I've in recent years definitely the first thing that comes to mind is is well, I can't remember his name, but like you know what I'm talking about. That song, Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, um wow, that's I'm the, blanking on it. Right. Old Town Road. Yeah, yeah. That's the first very first thing that pops to my mind. But after that the next thing that pops to mind is a uh, Florida Georgia line because I do not care for that group. They're, they're a duo. It's two guys. And like, they don't even necessarily rap, but it's like considered country rap, but it just like, doesn't work for me. And it, it's almost alternative country in the way that buck 65 is, but like buck 65 does it well. Meanwhile, they don't. <laughs> Well, I can think of I can think of a few country rappers that have sprung up through history, kind of like you might say Kid Rock is or Uncle Cracker are as well. But I think Buck Sixty Five somehow fuses hip hop and country better than almost anyone I've ever heard. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just powerful. It goes back it goes down we've talked about before that why do people certain people not like country? And it's a lot of like classism, honestly, for the same reasons that people don't like rap racism. <laughs> right. Because it gets honestly with Buck 65, he gets down to to these issues, to those political references, to the like working man like struggles, these like hard, tough secrets inside yourself. Like and, and we'll get to it, but there's just 
so many like moments throughout the songs that are just like yes that's like a country man struggle <laughs> well and that's that's what i think i love so much about this album is because there is some it's probably the most understated of all the things except for in a couple songs but there is some punk and new wave influence in this album and i've always felt that like classic country and hip-hop and punk are all very aligned in that their music made by common people for common people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way he blends the three together throughout this. Did you have any other thoughts about the album as a whole? Uh, I feel like I did, but I feel like I'd rather talk about the album and then go back to final thoughts, unless you're against that. <laughs> no, uh, I do want to bring up the, the way I had it. You mentioned it at the beginning. When this album looks at love, it looks at it from the sinister sides of it. Right. And it's interesting because as you were playing the secret house against the world, it's almost usually it's us against the world. And it's often used in a very like romantic or very close relationship, like friendship. That is okay. I'm kind of glad you touched on that. That kind of leads into a note I had about the album as a whole is that specifically there when in a couple songs he uses French, the language, and just, you know, the la- the very last song is just, like, all in French. So when I think France, it's, like, one of the romantic, one of the most romantic places. French is, like, a romantic language, etc. And, and so, like, it's possibly saying, like, this is very, this album is full of passion, but is it passion to a fault? And like you said, so looking at it from that, like, cynical side, because I feel like, it's not only a criticism on how passion can be (laughs) not the best thing in the world but it also could be a comment on the u.s and like how american love or passion towards things and having too much of it can be very toxic and dangerous and that maybe that's getting like really far out there but but i don't know that's something that i took from it yeah there's one more thing i will say (laughs) is that so before we like dive into it if you hadn't introduced me to it, honestly, I wrote this is like gruff man voice music. And if I like just picked up this music on my own and just played a random track, I'd listen to like maybe 20 seconds of it and be like, nope. But I'm so glad that that's not how I came across it and that you made me actually listen to it because otherwise I would not appreciate it. So for anyone who's like me, <laughs> that may be picky about it and see that this is like, not a country album but it's country alternative hip-hop like you were saying it's influence give it a chance like really listen to it as someone who who's one of their preferred genres is country it's probably of the highest quality of country you can get so when it's country when it's country yes that's what i mean when it's country it's it does it justice let's say that right well we're gonna take a short break and we're gonna come back to talk about the tracks okay we're back talking about buck 65's secret house against the world and right now we're going to play a little bit of track one rough house blues childhood memories triggered by smell so now what you may ask well that's hard to say because that old jack and diamond was a tough card to play
right, I'm giving this to you. This first song, first thoughts. First thoughts, reference already. <laughs> and maybe I'm wrong about this, but but the title immediately is this like a reference to country? Because the first thing I thought was Folsom Prison Blues. And I'm like, that's like what? Okay, if we're looking at Johnny Cash, he's like the king of country. Like, come on. Well, yeah, and there's a talking blueses and stuff that's used a lot in country and folk. And I won't say he does those exactly, but it's a very close approximation of of doing the talking blues in songs like this and in other parts of the album. Right. So, so besides that, that was the first thing that like struck me, but I will say that, okay. And hear me out. Let me, let me explain the music itself of this didn't necessarily impress me. However, that's intentional from my point of view. I feel that's intentional because the lyrics blew me away. And I feel like the contrast, I feel like the contrast of very common, like, I feel like the, the music itself was not a parody, but just like a representation of this is a really common form or rhythm sound that we use that we hear over and over in classic country music. Yeah. And yeah. so to juxtapose that with these lyrics that are almost slammed together that he's just spitting out out of the gate. I just felt that was super impressive. So I feel like it's intentional. I'm not really supposed to be like, oh my God, this is the sound. But it really makes you focus on the lyrics. I have two points about two different things you've said. The first is, it's interesting that the song doesn't grab you because I very much like the lyrics to, to this song. But one of the things that really get me to the point I had to make a note in it is the interplay between the like classic, almost honky-tonk ragtime piano and the scratching. Uh-huh. I love the interplay of that like old school sounding piano and the, the record scratching going on at the same time. It sounds so great to me. But see that, and maybe I missed that, but that just seems so natural to me. Maybe, maybe again, that's the point. Maybe it's, it's supposed to underplay the music and it's supposed to sound like natural to you that the lyrics are like, oh, damn. Unless I'm wrong, unless you didn't feel that way. Because, like, that's the thing that was really striking for the first track for me was I could not ignore. Like, I could barely focus on the music. It was just kind of, like, there to be, like, country. Yeah, we're here to party. Right. Well, I also, you said, like, he starts spitting right away. The word that comes to mind when I think about this. I didn't say spitting. Well, I I don't know what word you used, but. Slamming words (laughs) together. (laughs) <laughs> what it reminds me of in a lot of ways, and it's it's very different, but it's in a way, it's kind of an homage to some Bob Dylan. And in, in my notes, I just have it as, and, and people who appreciate Bob Dylan will get this, but he does this style a few times, and it feels like it's the free will in buck 65. <laughs> what, what's the song about to you? Honestly, kind of what we were talking about with the album as a whole. I felt like it was just an introduction to this feeling of I'm lost. We talked about this before recording that I wasn't really sure. I kind of wanted to know what your interpretation of the song was because the line, because that old Jack of Diamonds is a tough card to play. 
like I feel like I know what it means, but I don't know exactly what if what it's referencing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, let me say this. First off, I do. I just think this song is a lot about being an endless wanderer. There, there is supposedly some reference to the Jack of Diamonds. It's it's probably some old folk song that I don't know that well. Yeah, I was reading the annotations as evidence that I'm not just being lazy and like I don't know. You tell me. I was reading the annotations and a lot of people were saying that this is all in reference to some other song, which doesn't help me. Like, <laughs> those were poor annotations because, like, okay, that doesn't explain what it is to me. Here's how I kind of see it. Obviously, there's the card aspect, just like playing cards. Who knows what he's playing? But it's a risky maneuver, whatever he's doing, because the Jack of Diamonds beats a lot of stuff, but doesn't beat a lot of stuff in something as simple as war. But then who knows what you're playing it in a poker hand or whatever. But I also think there's some play on the word because, you know, the like the phrase jack of all trades. Yeah. I feel like he's saying he's lower royalty. He's a jack of all trades and he's associating himself out of the four suits as the jack of diamonds. That's how I see it. Okay. I mean, I feel like with with this first song, I was really more focused on the feeling overall rather than the purpose. That makes sense? Yes. I, okay, so... For anyone who listened to the first episode I was on, which we discussed Taylor Swift's reputation, and if you haven't, after this episode, you should go check that out. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But for anyone that did, that listened, if you remember, I did standout lines for every song. So like a nerd, I did the same thing with this. So my standout line for this song was, there's a curse in the air and a toenail moon. The imagery of that was so strong for me. It was such the choice of comparing the moon to a toenail was, I don't know, it's just a very raw and real way to set the tone for the album as a whole. And it it really gets into that, like, I don't know, it's real people. It, It goes back to what I was saying about it being about working class, like a real person that, you know, maybe it's not, we're not looking at like, cute positive things here we're looking we're getting into the dark and the gritty and like a toenail i didn't necessarily pick a favorite line but you you said reference and one of my favorite little references and is in this song and it's a reference to american folklore which the the line the couplet is some of these towns are still non-friendly and this is the hammer that killed john henry and for those of you who don't know john henry in american folklore was a steel driving man and the steam engine came along and he was determined that he could do more than a steam engine could. And he died in the competition that they held, but beat the machine by like one or something, but died doing it. And that's like the American folklore of John Henry. And it's, it's funny because dying to outdo the machine in a lot of ways, it's the the American way, even though Buck is, is Canadian, but that, and then the other thing I wanted to point out lyrically was that's why I sing love songs and carry steel which is a great play on the classic phrase, speak soft, carry a big stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that the reason I wanted to point out the, the standout line specifically back to what our conversation was that, so for me, this song wasn't, I wasn't necessarily looking for a specific like meaning behind it or what exactly it's saying necessarily, but what it's trying to make you feel. And I felt like it was just, 
setting you up for like, okay, we're going to get into some real shit real soon. Yeah. Well, I would like to, I save this, usually I say this right up top, but what? this is one of the standout tracks for me. Really? I love this song. Really? I love the free will in Buck 65. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of surprises me, but at the same time doesn't surprise me. Well, I think the, the, the things he does so much on this album they're just some things he that are a master stroke and i think this is kind of one of them but i think we're ready to talk about track two unless no i'm ready to go all right well let's take a moment and listen to a little bit of track two devil's eyes So it, it probably is no surprise to anyone at this point that this I find this to be a great album. And there are highs and lows within that great. I think every song is good, but some songs are much better than others. And this is actually probably the lowest point on the album for me. Ouch! <laughs> Wow, we have really conflicting feelings and views on this, Ben. I'm going to fight you, and it's going to be great, and everyone's here for it. Go get your popcorn, listeners. Okay, well, then <laughs> then tell me why I'm wrong. Okay, so listen. The vocal performance major in me was like, get it, because I was feeling those harmonies. <laughs> like, that's that's step one. That's true. Well, that well, that's the thing is that's weird to me, and why I still say it's still a good song. I'm not saying it's a good song. Like, all the arrangement of it, is really interesting right you know why i think you don't you think this is like the low point because i wrote the lyrics were so so but i think the minimalist approach worked that's fair yeah and you you always not always i can't make a blanket statement i apologize but in a lot of cases you'll lean towards the like heavy lyrical like really you know what i'm saying that's true and i think it differs from musician to musician but from buck 65 i'm usually looking for lyrical content right of course and and you know based on what i was saying at the beginning of all this was that his strength really and that's kind of why you listen to him but i feel like this is an example of where it's like okay but he's a talented musician and artist because it's not like oh well he's just a great lyricist and like he should stick to that it's like no this is an example of where he doesn't have to rely on that because the music itself i felt like musically this this was a standout track for me so that's why i was like ouch <laughs> when you were like this is a low point i'm like uh excuse me this is a standout i also i will make a comment and that will loop back to that at the very end or close to the end because initially on my first listener to it was not but after I went through, and especially after I listened to the last track on this album, when I went back and listened and realized for me it was a standout track. So it, it's, it's subtly there. It's not like standout like immediately you just know. It like grew on me and it took me a while to understand why it's a standout, which I can go more into. It was the first single. Well, see that you hate singles <laughs> and you hate... <laughs> Like, this is why you're like, this is gross. I don't think it's a bad song. And I think it's positioning on the album is really effective too. To like come off of that like honky tonk country rap into this like orchestral blast. I, it works. So I'm not saying it's a bad song, but just. I feel like a lot of the times people will think or feel that 
you're only telling a story through the actual words and lyrics. But I felt like this song was telling me a story through the actual music. Because like I said, the harmonies were, I'm like, yes, get it. But the tension building in the song with the strings, like slowly increasing the crescendo and the raising of the octaves, you know, adding to the constant tempo of that percussion. You know what that reminded me of? <laughs> more references to my other episode. It really reminded me of I did something bad, but a more chill version of that. Okay. <laughs> and written several years before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So that would mean that I did something bad was influenced by Buck 65. I'd love for that to be the case. I'll have to call Taylor Swift and ask her. But I mean that, you know, as a writer myself, I'm always looking for those those moments in storytelling, like tension raising. And and that's a way in music that those drastic changes create tension and things like that. I also near the end of the song it wasn't I wasn't vibing as much, but throughout I was like bopping to it because it just like I was digging the music. I was like, this is like you said, it gets more like up like from the first track. Near the end, though, I was like, these are some Jonathan noises. Oh, yeah, I do kind of like the end. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course you do. But I was like, mm, I don't know how I feel. This is Jonathan sounds. This isn't Sarah sounds. But then I was like, wait a minute. I like this. And you know why? because it reminds me of a car crash. Kind of, yeah. The cymbals tapping, like there was the tapping of the cymbals at the very end, reminded me of like a rear view mirror, like squeaking and hanging by like a thread at the, you know, like a very like artistic, from a film point of view, like shot of like panning like into a, a rear view mirror. At like the end of a like TV, like a, a end of a TV season, like a finale where it's like, oh my God, who died? I don't know. We're looking at this mirror that's squeaking. Well, what was your favorite line from this song? My standout line for the song was, happens fast, never planned out in your mind to last. People want, but can't decide. And that goes along with my car crash theory, all right? Like I was seeing a car crash after... Not immediately, not in the very first listen, but after like, once you go through the whole song and you get to that end part and then you listen again, it's like, oh, it, it also has the dramatics. Like I was saying, the tension building and it, it, it has the dramatics to be like, this is someone's getting in a car crash. Car crashes happen fast. Never planned it out in your mind. You're never ready for that stuff. People want, but can't decide. I feel like a lot of car crashes happen from impulsive decisions you know or not paying attention things like that i don't know why i'm so intent on that this was a car crash no that's how you interpreted it great i think it's about romance which is often described as a car crash yeah exactly so it's fine it works but yeah that's it's a car crash and it has all the elements i proved it with my science yeah <laughs> Oh, this is going back to track one, too. So uh -huh. if the secret house is Buck, then the first song is saying that he's a rough house. Why? It's this rough house blues. Right. So he's singing his blues being the rough house. But anyways, that brings me to my point of this. Why is the song called Devil's Eyes besides the repetition of Devil's Eyes? What is it implying with that? If it is a car crash or if without. I honestly don't know. See, I think it fits into the love is sinister theme of this album. Well, I don't, it doesn't have to literally be a car crash. It, it's like a symbolic car crash. Like it, it's, it fits with what you're saying. Like a car crash is chaotic. So it's like there's chaos within. A devil's eyes is like, I don't know, enticing you to lean into that chaoticness and that danger or whatever. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to track three, La 65 Esme. 
no time to lose Up off your knees now and shatter the average sex cinema politique What kind of world are we living in anymore? The best way to describe this song at all is frantic. Yeah. This song is hands down frantic. And then here's the thing is this is when I said one of the songs that's like punk and new wave influenced, which usually I love punk and new wave stuff, but I think these like punk and new wave songs aren't my favorite thing he does. I don't think they fit. I like them. I like them, but I I don't think they fit what he does the best. I agree that it was it was a low point for me. It felt like you said it felt frantic. It felt aggressive with like the chorus, the like but 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 like I don't like that was probably the high point for me. I thought the use of the French was interesting. I know that you mentioned to me uh, in preparing for for this that he lived in Paris. Yeah, when this album was being made. Right, while he was making it. So, of course, like, that's going to have an influence on the music. Well, and he's Canadian anyways. Right, right. So, <laughs> so I guess I could ask you, are there other albums where he uses French in his music? I'm almost positive there is, but I can't say for sure. He's got a pretty big discography. I don't know it. I know some albums a lot better than others. Right. But the fact that he's Canadian, which I did not know, if I'm being honest, the fact that he's Canadian explains this a little more to me. But the fact that he's living in Paris, it's even harder to to avoid, you know, being influenced by that. I felt like this was talking about Americans being trash. Going back to what we were saying, like, I felt like this was kind of the first, like, look into, like, gosh, I hate all these things the being bored with the contemporary culture yes exactly like that's that's exactly what i have in my notes and i feel like that's why it's like let's lean into the french because it's like oh my god from an outsider's point of view as like you know if he's in france france it's like looking at it from from their point of view and looking at americans it's probably like Ugh. well I'd, I'd like to talk more about the french but first i want to say i don't want people to think i don't like this song and again, I think it's this great train change of energy within the album from Devil's Eyes, which was an aggressive song, but very controlled aggression. And this song gets frantic and crazy. And I think it, it really works in that way. I just think isolated, this wouldn't be this, a song I put on first. No, I agree. What I want to say is I think the French lyrics are meant to be taken away from the English lyrics. Yeah. I wrote that my standout was the French translation. <laughs> Of all of the French in this song, because that was more, I'm sorry, I know you're like, oh, I don't dislike the song. I didn't really like the song. Like, I liked what it was trying to do, but I I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have fun listening to it. it. It's not my favorite. But I did, it was like a mind fuck trying to decipher the lyrics in this. I was more interested in looking at it as a poem. I think for me, it would work better as just a poem and just trying to like, like I could imagine myself appreciating this more at a poetry slam yeah well do you want to read the french translation or do you want me to i'll do it the translation of all the french lyrics from the song parade walk i don't know by what right i took my time taboo your mouth to the left i realize acid rain again cafe blanc sur the counter zinc noir tango salon after midnight sweet france basil what? Chimera. Chimera, sorry. Oh, I guess you should have done this because I already Basil, Chimera, right? Mythical Republic, Furious When You Get Apolitical. We did it together. But yeah, I think that's that's an interesting poem. Yeah, 
Exactly. I was more intrigued and interested with that than I was anything else in the song. I even like the way it seems a little abstract, but the way the first line and the second line play off the I don't know by, or I don't know by what right, your mouth to the left. I took that as the political left. <laughs> that Yeah, and I think it can be because the last line is furious when you get apolitical. Uh-huh. So I... I would have liked this song better if if he had tried to do like more of the countryish stuff in this song rather than the like punk influence stuff but keep the like political references and the franticness of it i feel like that would have like blown me away i think the franticness of it pays off to an extent in the refrain because in the refrain he's like it's basically calling anyone that could be considered a weird or an outcast and he's like, he says, there's no time to lose at one point. He's saying, we've got to get out there and change the status quo. We've got to destroy the norm and the refrain. And I feel like that's why the frantic delivery is there. And I think that I like the frantic delivery. I don't think this is a bad song, but I just feel like if I'm having to go pick a Buck 65 song, I'm not going to pick this one. I like it in its place in the album. Yeah, it's not a bad song. It's just not a song I would choose to listen to. And that's just my personal bias. And I don't think it, like you said, I don't think it represents buck 65 and his strength right as well as other songs might right i think it's safe to say that we can move on from this one i agree we're gonna now listen to a bit of track four the suffering machine black angels black angels black angels in a haze of fantasy and folklore the woman i love she don't well i hate to give it away right up front but in my eyes or should i say in my ears this is the perfect alt country song but was it in your new ears it's in my new ears that this is the perfect alt country song really I'm interested to know why you think that. This is obviously one of my standouts from the album, but I love everything about it. Obviously, the backing vocals on this song are fantastic. Everything down to that, there's that end synth part where it plays out really weird and gives it that sinister feel. I love so many of the lyrics. Plus, I can I defy anyone to listen to this song and not picture Johnny Cash doing a version of this song. I feel like a lot of this I can picture Johnny Cash doing, though. He's got that, like like I said, he's got that gruff man voice, and it's like, hello, I'm Buck 65. (laughs) (laughs) I could see that. That's easy. Before I get into my comments, I'd just like to, and yes, I'm going to make as many references as I can because I'm the worst, but I heard the word folklore come up in the the song. Is this my segue? If you want to briefly talk about folklore, we can do it in the context of this album. And that is this. This album does everything right that folklore does wrong. Ouch. I don't think folklore is bad. I don't think any song on that album is bad. But as a whole, it just gets boring because there's no variation and there's no real shifts. Okay, well, we're not here to talk about folklore. I was just making a joke. (laughs) You decided to go there and now I'm going to be mad for six days. (laughs) But you're not completely wrong. But don't trash Taylor Swift. The end. Bye. Back to what we're talking about. So it's funny that you're saying that this is a standout and you think this is like the ultimate example of a country. All country. I'd put it up there with Uncle Tupelo songs. Wow. See, because I, 
we'll get there but i felt a different song did that for me i'm not gonna say which one i'll say it when we get there so you just have to wait sir but i for me this was lyrically a standout just not overall a standout it's i agree with you that the, there's so many great lyrics in this and delivery the way he did right it's the delivery okay one of my notes my probably my favorite part of this song is when he does a little like black angel and he repeats it a couple times near the beginning and he's like black angel and that they're on the black on the third one he goes black angel and i just love that like pronunciate that like oh it's so funny like it made me laugh but it also just i don't know it's good i'd like to point out there was a time period and i obviously wasn't this record where buck 65 decided he wasn't going to use any profanity on his records mm. so he, he doesn't use as much profanity as a lot of rappers in general you know what i did not even notice that until you just brought but when out. he does on this album it hits so hard like when he says but the cold and the isolation beat the shit out of me yeah but you know what in a lot of the writing classes we took okay pulling out of like the analytical and getting personal how many times did they did like professors say to us or to other people and then other people told us that you need to save those words because those words are meant to like pack a punch and if you don't overuse it it's so much more powerful powerful in those moments where you do choose to use it you know so he's just he's just a really talented writer it just packs more of a punch that way he's selective with it and it pays off here. No, it pays off very hard. I, I feel like this song is just about the exhaustion of being a drifter. I think I was sitting next to you taking notes and listening to this. And was, and at one point, sat up, shouted, wait, is he digging a grave? <laughs> like, literally digging a grave here? And maybe that's me being too literal, but Black Angel, what's the Black Angel? Angel of Death? Yeah. He doesn't live anywhere. He says that. So, like you said, it's a drifter. And what being like this is it end of the road pal so so i feel like that not that he's like the angel of death but i'm just saying like the symbolism of that he feels like the angel of death maybe that he's just wandering the music was was i will say i didn't have a lot of notes on it as you as much as you did but i said it was an old timesy folk song to me so i felt like it did hit that in a way that i felt like this is a true like folk song for me like i felt like it was it was hitting all those those requirements to be considered that in my eyes at least who knows what the hell do i know but should would you like to know what my standout line was i would because i really could break down the lines and how every instrument does exactly what i need it to in this song but overall i don't have much to say so what, what were your standout lines here the standout line was wandering hopeless the drifter singing the lament to the non-trier the isolation makes me want to set myself on fire so it's like, I, that last part especially, I'm always just like, when I'm in a mood, I'm like, I want to set myself on fire. But aside from that, and aside from me being silly, it actually is, I don't know, it, it speaks to the overall, one of the overall themes that's been ongoing through the album so far, even though we're only four tracks in, is that wandering, that lost feeling. But the loneliness of that, like, you know, because because it's some people may find more peace with being a wanderer and like, you know, there's truck drivers that like love being on the road driving for 14 hours straight and that's their life and, and that's great for them. But for other people, it might be like, this is hell. Like, I, <laughs> I can't deal with this isolation. I want to set myself on fire. Yeah, it does a great job of conveying that feeling in this song. It also made me, <laughs> I need to stop. You need to like 
put me in like the penalty box or jail or something because it made me think of uh the archer well let's see if this next one made you think of a taylor swift song everything makes me think of a taylor swift song we're gonna listen to a little bit of track five Surrender to strangeness. Shoelaces untied, telling people I'm rich. Can't tell the difference of real art and high kitch. Mouth like a broken bottle, crooked and bottomless. Half wolf, half crow, half hippopotamus. Sturdy as a paper bag as well, my face is flawed. But keeping the fire going by the grace of God. And I'm loath to think that we missed our chance to find a way out of this downward dance. And we got it all Do you want me to start this one off with my standout line? Okay. Shoelaces untied telling people I'm rich can't tell the difference of real art and high kitsch. I'm not surprised that that's your favorite line. I thought of you when that came up. I love that line so much. And there's so many great things at play because his name is Richard. Oh, really? So he's telling people I'm rich. Oh, he's a, he's great. That works on both levels. But then the second part, is he talking about himself or his fans? Can he not tell the difference between real art and high kitsch? Or can his fans not tell the difference between real art? And, is that like, I'm terrible and my fans don't even know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that line is so fantastic. This isn't a standout track to me, and it's a, it's a great song, but that line is one of my favorite lines on this album. So what's the song about? What does the title mean? I don't know. <laughs> Again, I wasn't looking for... I was more interested in the feelings of these rather than like, what does every song mean? But let me, you said your standout line. Can I say what my standout line was? Yeah. Which if that line that was your standout line didn't exist, I feel like this would have been your standout. And tell me if I'm right or wrong. Lost without a marketing plan and a stylist. Here comes the vilest nihilist finalist. Oh yeah. That's a great one too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I thought of you. I'm like, oh my god, he must love that like wordplay there. I love, I love the wordplay in this song. Yeah, exactly. So, huh? If it weren't for the fact that he was on point with describing what Jonathan hates about things that aren't artistic but are trying to be and suck at it, <laughs> that would be Jonathan's standout line. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just blowing you off and saying, I don't know. I don't care what the, what the meaning of the song is. I just, listen, when you get to these high levels, when you have such, you, when you put so much into, into the lyrics as Buck 65 does, there's so many different interpretations of it that I just really don't know. And like I said, I'm more interested in what I'm feeling from it because I feel like I could sit there all day and, and we could come up with a million different things that the song means. What was your feeling? That's, I'm getting to that. <laughs> I felt like this was, let me back up. Hold on. <laughs> You're making me go out of order here. So I wanted to point out that this was a, another song that was hev heavily referential to me. And maybe that was unintentional, but I, I don't think so. I think it was intentional. I felt that there was American Pie references, like with the lines, music slowly died, died, died. And he mentioned something about a woman being on dope. I don't know why that was like American Pie, yes for me but it really was it was a moment where i was like that's american pie baby but also and this might be far this might be a reach but singing with a rock in my mouth i immediately thought of the things they carry because i wrote a poem in which i stole something from the things they carry because in one of the early chapters one of the characters carries a pebble in his mouth as like a way to sort of think about home and like why he's doing all this terrible shit. And so I stole that as like a symbol 
of hope. So, so when, when that came up singing with a rock in my mouth, I was like, it's probably not because that could be, again, there's so many different interpretations you can have. But for me, it was like, is it that same like feeling of the things they, I don't know. I was feeling the same things I was feeling with the things they carry. And I felt like it was subtly being political. <laughs> it might be a reference to the things they carry and very likely is. But Buck65 also likes to talk about stuff in his mouth. Which sounds weird, but a he has a whole so- a he has a whole song about food, but b from another song of his that I really love that's not on this album called four six three. There's a line: "I'm upside down, I'm inside out, broken glass all in my mouth." Yeah, I'm aware of that song. So it's a repeating uh, theme for him. I guess I didn't notice that. But it could be it could be both. But I feel like the feelings that I get from this song, it's feelings of failure and fatigue. I guess there's not really a vocal chorus in this song, but to tie into what I'm saying is I guess if you wanted to call a chorus anything in the song, it would be when he says, we got it all wrong. Because he says that twice. And the exasperation in his voice when he says it is so perfect. Right. And I mean, I guess I was kind of at a loss for words for to describe what this song meant for me but what i was trying to get at with bringing up the references is that both of those things the song american pie and the things they carry kind of you know have those feelings of fatigue or hopelessness not hopelessness but you know what i mean like these are heavy heavy things okay american pie it's (laughs) everyone loves that song but it like we've talked about before it's a super heavy song (laughs) when you actually listen to it it's like oh and come on, things they carry, rough. Definitely. So it just feels right. So it's like my feelings were, well, I'm fatigued by the things around me. And that makes sense because that's why you're making so many references to other things. Yeah, it's a very self-reflexive song in a lot of ways. But then at the same time, like I said before, he ends the stanzas with the we got it all wrong. And I wonder if the we is addressing society and culture as a whole or if there's something else that it's addressing. Right. Well, I think we both said our standouts. And again, I think it's a good tempo change. It's a little bit more classic hip hop structure in some ways than the previous song, but still has a country feel too a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to track six. Kennedy killed the hat. And was surrounded by assassins, phantomas, mutantes, and serpents, werewolves, and sex fiends. New York, New York City, Lafayette Street. All right now, bang, bang, run and parachute the lights out. Come on now. So this was the second single from the album. It was Devil's Eyes and then this. Okay. I could see that because one of the first things I noted was that it's funny that you were saying it kind of picked up in the last track. I feel like it picked up even more with this track. But I also felt it was one of the tracks that's farthest from country. Well, and that's why I think it's weird that Devil's Eyes and this were the singles because they're so far removed from a majority of the album. But I think that's intentional and that's that's a good thing because again it shows his strength it shows buck 65's range like that's impressive that on this same album there's songs that are completely different from each other that you could even argue are they even the same genre definitely well what genre would you argue is this i didn't i put jonathan <laughs> <laughs> that's my own genre 
if listen, if people know you, they know what that means. I don't need to explain further. If they don't know you, they'll eventually learn if they listen more to this podcast. Well, it's more on the uh, punk and new wave influenced stuff. Yeah, Jonathan, music. Well, <laughs> what what do you think the song is about, or what does what feelings do you have? Okay, so hear me out. This is an outlandish theory, and I'm aware, but based on the title, Kennedy killed the hat. So first thing I think of assassinations. Okay, when I think the word assassination, who are the what are the first things or the first people I think of? JFK and Abraham Lincoln. So in some weird twist play, Kennedy, JFK, has to kill Abraham Lincoln. Who <laughs> <laughs> so, was famous for his hat? Yes, because the hat. Yeah, you got it. See, it makes sense. So that's the silliness of it, that there's some weird alternate dimension <laughs> where JFK is hunting Abraham Lincoln and he's going to kill Abraham Lincoln. Well, that's funny. It, that kind of ties in with the refrain of the song because the refrain is about being surrounded by all kinds of terrible things and like they're closing in. Right. So, so I know that sounds silly, that theory. And it is silly. But he talks about he talks about silly things in this. Right, right. This is Buck 65's Twilight song. <laughs> Gross. He mentions werewolves. You're right. Oh my god. <gasps> Wait a minute. He likes Gilmore Girls and Twilight. <laughs> Whoa. So, oh my god, and and he influenced Taylor Swift. Listen, I really got to get his number. So, right, so it's not just a story. I mean, it's a great story, let's be honest. But, and that's me patting myself on the back. I'm acknowledging that. But to jump off of what you were saying is that that would make sense because the song's about being surrounded by all this awfulness. I feel like it's a commentary on how awful it is that assassinations or, like, murder sprees or, like, you know, like, mass shootings and stuff. That's like, it's not the same thing, but it's in the same realm, you know, guns are involved. And it's not an assassination of a specific icon or figure, but it's, it can be, you know, symbolic of something, mass shooting. So I just think it's a comment on how sad it is that they're so common in this country. That's interesting because I feel like the song itself is an assassination of art and art culture and art commodification. And it probably is. I mean, listen, my theory is based on around the idea that JFK is assassinating Abraham <laughs> Lincoln. So you're probably closer to hitting the thing on the nose than I am. I'm just saying, like, that was kind of what I was taking from it. Well, I have a question also, but before we get to my question, just out of curiosity, what is your standout line from this song? So my standout line was, we're not the beautiful people running down the street on fire. They want to see me jump that fence. Sometimes I'd rather be dead. That's a pretty good one. I think that's about performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, my question is, is what do you think clear is the new black means? Because it's repeated at the end of this song and the kind of the refrain. And I'm wondering what, what he means. I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> I mean, to, <laughs> should I keep this Abraham Lincoln JFK story going? Do both. <laughs> do both? Okay, so to let me to give me time to think about my real answer <laughs> in in this play where JFK has to murder Abraham Lincoln, clear is the new black. Abraham Lincoln's wearing a clear hat. <laughs> 
Yeah. Because JFK's altered the timeline. My real answer is, is it a commentation on, on like, color? I don't know. Is it race? Like, I don't... Or is it, is it like, not... Maybe it's a commentation on, like, wearing rose-colored lenses, but reversed? Maybe. I, something like that. I will say I was... Blank is the new black is an expression that I knew but didn't fully know. Like That's an expression? Yeah, that's why there's that TV show, Orange is the New Black. Oh, right. It comes from an expression. And I didn't really know the roots of the expression. And I was like, I'm wondering now, because we're learning lots of things and people are like, things you never really made the connection actually originate from terrible things. But I, I looked it up and I was like, where does blank is the new black come from? And it's actually an expression given to us from fashion okay because black is always fashionable black will never not be in style so in fashion if you're saying is the new black it means it's the new always in style thing but do you think that's how it's applied here now that you've explained what it is yes i think it's better than my abraham lincoln theory so so you're saying that wearing no clothes at all or see-through clothes is always fashionable i don't mean literally and what is clear in that term is he saying transparency is the is fashionable is yeah yes <laughs> why would we why would he just randomly start talking about clothes of course he's <laughs> talking about transparency clear as in transparency I thought that was transparent. <laughs> yes. I think we're safe to move on to track number seven. So let's go ahead and hear a little bit of The Floor. I was still a child and the three of us watched as my mother smiled. And the wind died too. And I was still a child and the three of us watched as my mother smiled in the wind. interested to hear your first thoughts or feelings on this song sad as hell <laughs> sad sad as hell it is but like of course the lyrics are sad right like it's just heavy but it's just the inflection of his voice as well he sounds tired so whispery on this song yeah it sounds like someone who's just so beaten down at this point it's so beautiful it's based on a poem by charles bukowski which is interesting. It's based on the poem A Smile to Remember, but, you know, Buck does his own interpretation of it. That's interesting. I did not know that. And it's definitely delivered more like a poem. I mean, he's singing. It's rhythmic. Right. It, it is definitely poetry. I mean, this could be a whole other episode of a podcast if we're going to talk about <laughs> poetry and lyrics and, and what makes a song and what doesn't make a song. But this is definitely a poem but also a song. Yeah. And I thought the contrast from the previous track was a good choice because it makes it more jarring, that switch, that transition to it suddenly being very raw and heavy and like you said, whispery. And it's like, we're really getting into the heart of it here. Uh, I even wrote that to me, this felt like the heart of it, maybe. Of the whole album? I don't know. Is it? it yeah, I felt like, this is getting to the the heart of it because there's well i i don't i not to cut you off but i don't want to get too far ahead because i still have a lot to say but i feel like six and seven are like tied together they're kind of meant to go together 
I mean, this whole album feels that way to an extent, but this and the next song are very much tied together. You mean seven and eight? Yes, sorry, seven and eight. Yes, that's because I was like six and seven. Abraham Lincoln has a lot to do with the heart of this album. The seven and eight are very tied together musically, and also because of that, I think tied together, they're the heart of this album. Right, and I agree with that. Okay, well, that that reinstates something a note I'm going to have for the next track, but we'll get there. Going back to what I was saying, why... I feel like this is the heart of the album. Let's let's look at it musically. Oh, let's. So there's <laughs> what was that attitude? No, no. For? <laughs> I I was sitting here thinking this isn't a standout track for me, but I'm sitting here thinking that How dare you? Musically, this might be my favorite song on the album. Yeah, it's so That piano that it starts with, just the simple rhythm part is great then there's that whispery part that's played up high can i ask is it a xylophone is that what's being played throughout it might be i'm pretty sure it's a xylophone because there's the keys but then there's also the ding ding like the do and that's that's a xylophone I, you're, I think. you're probably right yeah i'm not entirely sure so like people who are more musically inclined are gonna be like nah. yeah, no i think i think you are right i think it is the xylophone but the piano and the xylophone playing off of each other early in the song is magnificent right exactly and i also felt like the xylophone is a good symbol for fragility yeah like the fragileness of his mother in general or just the sadness and the fragileness of his childhood memories in general and the wispiness of the wind at the same time right so i think choosing the xylophone to like play throughout it it's like okay like this it also tones it down because the xylophone's a very soft almost innocent i would say i don't <laughs> it's weird that i'm sitting here describing a, a xylophone and how it feels to me but innocent Probably because I'm thinking of those like Toys R Us kids xylophones, <laughs> but no, that's not because it's not. Please don't think it's a kid xylophone that he's hitting in this. It's an actual xylophone, I believe. But that on top of nearing the end of the song and the bridge, when it's starting to pick up when you add the strings. And the steel guitar or banjo. Yes, yes. So I felt like that was so fitting for building up to the finality of the song, but also like building to the finality of feelings of loss and grief and suffering and how it's just something that's always going to be ingrained in who you are. But that's what's so great about it is you have all these things, each one doing something amazing, each one fitting in place with the rhythm, and you've got the scratching. And it works with all these things going on, obviously as an instrument to itself. This is why people who think hip hop isn't music, I can't understand. You're so excited about the scratching. D doesn't it work? Does it not make it? <laughs> yes, it does. I'm just saying you get so like, you have like a, people can't see this obviously, but you look giddy every time you're talking about the scratching when it comes I up. wish I could scratch. <laughs> that's what this boils down to. And that's fine. That'd be cool. I wish I could too. But it's incredible playing off the banjo and the orchestra and yeah, it's beautiful. What is your favorite standout line from this song? Let me talk about a, a different line first because there was a lot with this. And then I'll talk about my standout line. So I wanted to point out the last line because one, it's repeated 
I believe three times, four times. I'm not sure, but it, it. I don't. I don't have it written exactly, but it's about the fish lying on the floor, and they're all looking at it, and having it repeated over and over like that. I think it's similar to, or it's pointing out that this is like a broken record. These things that happen, like being stuck in this pattern of abuse or, or of unhappiness. And for anyone who's listening, that wasn't. That that wants to know the exact lines you're talking about. The lines that are repeated exactly are, and the wind died too, and I was still a child, and the three of us watched as my mother smiled. Right, okay, it was before that. Before yeah, yeah, the lines that lead up to it are, and when my father came home, he walked through the door and threw those fish to the cat on the kitchen floor. Right, that's why I was thinking that the last line was, because they're, they're like, looking That's the, the last line before the build-up, and then the, the build-up is that, yeah. Right, so the repetition of it, I think, is a good symbol of what abuse can, it's a pattern, you know, it's something that you can't break, it's hard to break out of. I got like maybe I'm like misinterpreting that, but I was getting like from it. I was seeing you know, there's a lot of different things. I think it is that like the mom's like obviously like super depressed and sad. Yeah, part of it's abuse, but part of it's also poverty. Part of it's probably just you know there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. Well. I've been trying to figure it out lately, but repetition in music, mm-hmm. I don't understand. I can't know. I know, but I don't know how to tell someone what makes repetition good and what makes it bad. Because there are times when repetition is not very good and very off-putting. That's not the case here. This is a very successful use of repetition. And the reason it is is because of what I just said. It has a purpose to enforce that idea of abuse is a pattern repetition is is showing that pattern by repeating the line it's showing that this is something that she's stuck in if she's being abused it is hard for them to break out of this pattern yeah and that's why why maybe for you repetition doesn't always work is in instances where it doesn't it probably is not for the purposes you would want them to be it's for there is no reason it's just to like because uncreative (laughs) like not to be harsh And that's not always the case. You can't make blanket statements about this stuff. Right. Okay. But, you know, there's a lot of repetition in pop music. And I don't, a lot of pop music does not have deeper meaning. Let's be honest. Fair. So that's probably why you might have a little bit of an issue with repetition. Sometimes and other times you're like, I get it. Because a lot of the times when you experience it, because as you've pointed out, unfortunately in your life, you're exposed to more pop music than you'd like to be just because it's everywhere because that's what pop music is. So it's overexposure to the fa- to it when it shouldn't be used. And then when you actually get to hear repetition in places where it's actually utilized and used properly, you can appreciate it because you're always hearing it in the wrong places and then you get to hear it in the right place. Well, what are what are your other thoughts about the floor? I, I did not point out my actual standout line. Right. <laughs> I was just talking, I needed to talk about the repetition for sure. But my standout line from this was wanting to be happy, beaten all the while, asking me always, why don't you ever smile? And she'd show me how to do it, mother and wife. It was the saddest smile I ever saw in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's just the heart of it. So yeah, that's, that's really heavy. And it feels like the heart of the song really like that's what it boils down to is he's seeing how sad his mom is and like it's just the saddest thing he's seen in his life and there's a lot of sad things he's seeing as we're seeing in this album overall so i think it's a comment on that i also wanted to point out that you know i've said now a few times that i feel like this might be 
the heart of the album. And I think it's interesting that it's about the halfway point of the album. Yeah. You know, so that kind of implies that it really could be that it was intentionally placed there as the center or heart of things. Mm -hmm. And my other thing before we move on, he mentions in the song that he's seven years old, right? When the song is taking place or the story he's telling with this song. Yes. In Taylor Swift's Folklore. There's a song titled Seven where she talks about her friend being abused by her dad. Being seven sucks, according to Taylor Swift and Buck 65. Fair enough. Anything else? This was a standout track for me. By far, it was probably my favorite song on the album. Personal bias, my favorite song. But overall, I think it's also just the strongest song musically. And maybe not lyrically, but I feel like the lyrics were strong enough to make it a standout and probably the best song on the album. It is a really great song, but I also like to see it as the first part of a two-part thing, just because I like hearing these songs together. So the music swells at the end of this and then starts to fade into a sound, and that sound gets picked up and into track eight. So we're going to go ahead and move into track eight and play a little bit of Blood of a Young Wolf. Diamond rings and little babies, startlements and miracles. I remember pretty faces so severe and lyrical. I'm talking Amelia Earhart, Nico Case, Frida Kahlo, all alone the way it should be. I don't even need a shadow. Seeds of wisdom found no purchase. We don't even have a chance. Birthday party, Armageddon, long stem roses, avalanche, broken fingers going nowhere, fast and screeching to a halt. All that work. Without a doubt, if you make track seven and track eight one song, it is the best song on this album. But if we have to divide them up and pick standouts, Track eight is my final standout for this album. And I I get that. That makes sense. I mean, with track seven, there's personal bias. This is personal information that everyone doesn't need to know. But like, I experienced loss and tragedy at a young age. So that's why like seven speaks to me. But I can see why eight would speak to you. It also speaks to me too. And I, looking at it now and hearing you talk about it, I do see the two-parter situation going on. And I have notes that reinforce that idea. But first, let me say, this is my sit on a train and look over the horizon while I cross the country song. (laughs) This song, it's not easy to do, but it's definitely the biggest sing-along on this album, I think. I wouldn't be able to do it, but I want to be able to do it. I I feel the urge and necessity to, but because he's, there's so many, because he slams lyrics together and he's fast. It's kind of talking blues. It's that free will in Buck 65 I was talking about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I can't do it unless I like practice forever but I will also say that earlier you were saying what song was the like ultimate alt country song alt country song for me this was it yeah I felt like this yes I'm like this is country because it's my sit on a train and like look over because like my favorite ways to experience like classic country is like in a car and I don't get to do this much because I'm not really in cars very often we're currently in quarantine so I'm really not in a car ever because I don't go anywhere but even before that I couldn't really like afford to travel a lot so I've never been like a big like road trip person or like in the car on highways a lot but when I am it's a special occasion because it doesn't happen often but my favorite thing to do is have like country music playing and usually because we're in the midwest and i'm from the midwest and i haven't traveled much outside of the midwest for context 
So a lot of this driving is happening like between Illinois and Wisconsin and those areas where there's a lot of fields and farms. So like my favorite way to experience country is in a car on a highway looking over these farmish, countryish fields. And it's like not country in comparison to places where you're from, Jonathan, where like you've seen actual country, but like Midwestern like farm country. That's still plenty country. Exactly. Yeah, you know, you know it, but that's. That's your that's your train or car going into the this song is what makes gives you that feeling. You see that soundtrack in your movie. Right. So I felt like of all the songs on this album, this felt the most country to me. I felt that because like classic country is my driving in the car on the highway, looking out the window meaningfully. And I felt like this is a song where I want to do that. So it's a crazy requirement to be considered classic country, (laughs) like hidden that. But yes, this hit that. But it also hit the alt stuff because of his beautiful lyrics and his beautiful everything. Like, it's just a beautiful song. Yeah, we'll knock out some of the references here. But one of of my favorite little moments of this song, it's not just because it's genius, but well, it is because the rhyme rhyme itself is genius. So I'll give the whole line, but I love the reference. I'm talking Nico Case, Amelia Earhart, Frida Kahlo, all alone the way it should be. I don't even need a shadow. So the rhyme is really great, but it's so wonderful that he names drops Nico Case, Amelia Earhart, and Frida Kahlo. They're like three pioneering women in separate ways. I know, and I felt... I appreciated that. I was like, all right, all right, Buck 65, you're getting in your feminism today. I see you. Yeah. (laughs) So that was, on top of it just already being a fabulous song, it's like, all right, I got you. To to comment on what you were saying about how you feel like this is part one and part two, something I felt, and you might disagree with me, or you might agree with me. I don't know. You surprise me sometimes. You still surprise me, kid. Honestly, from the whole album, in a weird way, I feel like this is the most hopeful song. In an album that feels lost, that feels wandering, that feels hopeless and cynical, I feel like this is a song where being lost in, he's still lost in that, but... It's not negative. It's not negative, and there's hope that there can be something else. Well, I would agree with that. I found a, a quote from him, and I, I don't, I forget who I need to attribute, but I'm not stealing this. I did not do this work. Someone has a whole interview with him you can find online. I'm sure there's more than one. But he once said that this was his direct quote from Buck in an interview. I lived in Nova Scotia my whole life until I moved to Paris in 2002. I had just signed a record deal and was touring almost constantly. I was a real drifter for a few years there. I guess that song is about my rootlessness and the realization that I didn't know who the hell I was. And I think that's in the song, but I think you're right. I think there is a hopefulness to it. I think there's some like, some part of this song is if I had to do it all over again, I'd still do it this way. And another part of the song is we've still got a future. Right. And honestly, as I've been saying with these tracks and with this album, I've been focusing on how I feel and how he's making me feel. And I I felt that. I felt that hope in the lyrics, but also just in the music itself, switching, transitioning from that really like, like I said, fragileness and softness in track seven with the floor, moving, shifting to this, where it's a little like more uplifting and it's going to that like country, like grassroots, like, yeah, we're doing this song or sound. It, it just made me feel hopeful. Yeah. Do you want to hear my standout line? Yeah, let's hear your standout line. It is the longest standout line. (laughs) 
of any because it's arguably multiple lines, but I couldn't break it up because I have a thing to say about it and it needed to all be there for me for it to make sense. So the standout line or lines was really boring modern music, really boring modern girl. Get me out of here. I'm drowning. I don't like this modern world. Anti-intellect and marketing. Pretty, pretty, who needs talent? Crying eyes were so outnumbered. Fight for the right to remain silent. But what do I know? Who am I? My two left feet, my big dumb face. I'd do the same thing if I had the chance. Cheat the system. Rig the race. Politics. Go. (laughs) Politics, personal, art. I mean, and I think it fits in with the thing I said up top of the small theme of this album is him being bored with the contemporary, the really boring modern music, really boring modern girl line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just the the very end of, of those lines that I read too. just like, I was feeling things because I'm just like, again, with the looming election, I'm like, oh man, I'd do the same, cheat the system, rig the race. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it made me feel things. I don't have much more to say. I love the, uh, again, I love the steel guitar or banjo in this album or in this song, on this album when it's used, but especially in this song in the the last one. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's lyrically wonderful. It's a lot of it's a play on phrases that already exist and stuff for this song, which is part of the point of it. And I don't know. I really, I don't know what else to say. I just love this song so much. Yeah, for me, it was also a standout. So back to back, like you said, even more reason to think it's a part one and part two situation is that both seven and eight are standouts to me. And I do agree with you that they are better, not enjoyed. Well, yeah, enjoyed. They're better received when you listen to them together. You can get more out of them if you look at it as a whole. Yeah, I think so too. Is there anything we missed? No, I think we're good. Let's go ahead and play Drunk Without Drinking, which is track nine. So this is obviously not, it's told in the first person, but the narrator is not Buck 65. Okay. Because he's a traveling salesman. I mean, it could be metaphorically about Buck 65, but I I would argue that this is definitely a Buck 65 storytelling song. Yeah, I wrote, it's a good heartbreak song. So like in storytelling, if, if you're looking at a song and you're like, I'm telling a story with this song rather than being confessional or telling my own story. You're looking for a universal like way to be like, okay, well, what am I saying with this? Or whose story am I telling? And why am I telling it? And I feel like this was a song to be like, this is for those heartbroken people out there. Because I felt that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's about heartbreak. I think the song is about A, being a traveling salesman and B, an affair. Yeah. So... That can be heartbreaking. Listen. I guess so. Not heartbreak necessarily, but like heart heavy. Right. Does that make sense? You're just like out on your luck. It ain't working out. The relationship thing ain't your thing, maybe. <laughs> or like you're just not lucky with the gals or whoever, or the guys or the beings, the persons to be <laughs> politically correct. <laughs> I Let's zoom out of what the meaning is. <laughs> 
I want to say that the fade in of the beginning sounds of the clickety clack was cool. I don't know if you caught that. The beginning, there's like a clicky sound. I appreciated that. I don't think, I don't know if there was necessarily such a big, deep meaning to it, but I appreciated it. I think it's kind of gives a like traveling feel to it. Yeah. Hey, maybe that's him getting off the train. Yeah. I didn't mention earlier, but like with earlier when, what song, what track was it? With Black Angel? What track is that again? I think that's for the Suffering Machine. Yeah. So with that, I was picturing like a cowboy or like an outlaw because he mentions outlaw a lot in this album dressed in all black though obviously because black angel so like just imagine that like that sound at the beginning is him with like his cowboy attire on and the spurs walking off that train and that's the click clack that's silly it's not it means nothing but i'm just imagine like if we're telling a i know you just said that it's not you don't think it's from, you don't think it's a first person telling it's not Bucks. Well, it is a first person telling. It's just not. Right. From his point of view, I mean, it's not a first person telling of six Buck 65. It's a, it's a telling from someone else. It's someone else's yeah, story. I think so. Anyway, maybe I just misinterpreted the song. Yeah, I don't, I mean, no, it could be either way. It's relative. I just, to me, it feels very. But you know, the other thing that why I like was looking at it in a more romantic sense was that I don't know if you've noticed this, but I I started it was while I was listening to this song that I was like, hey, wait, hasn't he said this or hasn't this come up a lot? Did you notice that diamonds come up a lot in this album? Oh, yeah, well, Rough House Blues, the old jacket diamonds. Right. So it comes up there, but it comes up in, in a previous song. Which might be part of why he chose Jack of Diamonds in the first song. And then if you're looking at it through that context, I think this falls back to that. That's why I feel like this song is about love being sinister. Like that theme, because diamonds are usually... Well, what's it? I, I think love being sinister could be like someone who's heartbroken. Well, that's true too. But I, I think that's... I'm not saying no, but I mean, I, when I think of diamonds, I think of bad connotations of how diamonds are achieved, so... So this was something that I was looking at overall, not just in this in this uh, track itself. But like I said, I noticed during this track, I started to pick up on the fact that diamonds have come up a lot. So I was thinking about it, and I'm like, what? Why are diamonds mentioned so much? And I was thinking about how diamonds are made, and it's usually under pressure. So I wonder if that has something to do with it, if it's like pressures. And you know, like you said, this is about a traveling salesman so maybe it's like heartbreak from a romantic sense or it's heartbreaks from the pressures of life and having to be alive you know and you know you said in track one diamonds get mentioned because the the line about the cards you know that old jack of diamonds yeah that old jack of diamonds that song in itself like we were saying you know he feels it's obvious that he feels like lost and is wandering and doesn't know and that could be a result of the pressures of having to be alive i i'm wondering if i'm just being too analytical here or if that was the purpose of that if like diamonds are a symbol of pressure right because also like there was a mention of diamond rings yeah and like you said there's negative there's positive connotations for that for some people but for other people that's a negative connotation because one how if you've ever watched down ruins everything engagement rings are stupid and a scam but to the pressure of like the meaning behind a ring of like having to get married or engaged or whatever yeah and i still think about blood diamonds like the brutality of of obtaining those diamonds in the first place too i.e pressure right <laughs> 
under pressure. I guess this would be something that qualifies as a standout line, but there's one line of this song. I, it's not my favorite line in the album, and if I sat there and thought that hard about the song, I don't think it actually is my favorite line of the song, but it's the line that whenever I think of this song, this is the line that comes to my head. And it's, we met up again when undercover literally, I told her about Cuba, I told her about Italy. It's almost a perfect rhyme. I mean, it is literally a perfect rhyme. Yeah. But you you know what I'm trying to say. I do. I know you. Do you, would you like to hear my line? I would. I'd like to hear your standout line. So yours is probably the better standout line, but mine was lost at sea, tangled up in golden hair, scavenger hunter, my life is like a folding chair. It's a pretty good line too. Listen, someone telling me my life is like a folding chair. I get it, man. <laughs> I also just like that imagery. Yeah, it's good imagery. Well, is there something we missed? I don't. Well, I probably apparently missed the whole meaning of the song, according to you. But <laughs> no, I did not say that. I just said I interpreted it differently. <laughs> Let's go ahead to track ten. Blanc back. Coming to get you with a stain on my shirt, with all of my agony, my pain, and my hurt. A face like the walls and the ceiling is neutral. It dislikes me, and the feeling is mutual. Skeleton on fire. So I think this is the most successful of the punk rock new wave influenced songs on this album. That makes sense because I wrote Jonathan Noise again. Well, you wrote that for all of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it felt like the most authentic to the Jonathan noise. <laughs> well, one thing I like is that it the refrain and not the whole the verses captures that franticness that he did earlier but contains it a little bit more because the ver the verses feel a lot more controlled than in that other song. Yeah. I honestly don't have a lot to say about this track. I thought it was silly <laughs> and fun. Yeah. And maybe that's a is that how you took it? Maybe you're like, this is a very serious song, Sarah. Well, I, I, I mean, I think to an extent it is silly and fun. I mean, he's talking about a comic book character in the refrain. Right. I mean... He's saying he is Ghost Marvel's ghostwriter. I understand. I got the reference. I mean, I didn't at first, but then, like, if you clicked on the annotation, it was a picture of that character. <laughs> Not even words. It was just a picture of that character. I, I mean, I think there is a, some serious thought in it but it is silly and fun no, no i'm not just saying it's not like ween where like they're waving parts of bodies in the yeah. air that i'm not gonna <laughs> i think the song is about how buck 65 sees the musician life as the only thing that's possible for him yeah again i didn't have a lot to say about this because i just took it as like this, this is silly the like devil voice underneath his voice yeah. <laughs> made me laugh out loud i was like okay <laughs> It definitely is probably the most fun song on the album. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not a negative comment. No, no, I'm just saying I, it's a really successful change of energy, like I said this album does. My takeaway is that the devil likes motorcycles. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, my line? You want my line? Sure. Skeleton on fire <laughs> on motorcycles. <laughs> just so like, okay, that gets stuck in my head, though. It's not a standout for me, but nothing gets stuck in my head more than skeletons on fire. <laughs> I am a skeleton. Yeah, it is. It's pretty great. You want you want my standout line from it? Sure. 
I'm a skin flint infant destroyer enjoyable, neatly folded up and completely unemployable. Well, that's a lot better of a standout <laughs> line. My standout line was just because it's funny noise to me. I, I just love the skin flint infant and I love the destroyer enjoyable. It, it's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, that's that was the purpose of the song. That's what I felt what the purpose of the song was. It sounds like that's how you took it as well. And I think it's a nice break from the heavy of it all, especially, you know, the last three songs have all been kind of, you know, seven. It's like my childhood was really, really sad. Eight is I'm still sad, but there's hope. And then nine was, well, from your point, a traveling salesman who's sad or someone who's heartbroken. Yeah, so this breaks it up. And then I think it kind of pushes us to the like last. Really, there's there's only two major songs left on this album, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, I use the website that you recommend to use for lyrics of things. And the final song doesn't have lyrics. Right. I was like, huh? Because I was... I was looking at at the album on on my phone then i like i can't like see both pages at the same time so i'd be on like the lyrics page and i'd be like okay next song and then i was like isn't there 13 <laughs> and i was like this, see this website's really unreliable they're totally missing the song <laughs> But then, I, but then when I listened to the song, I was like, oh, there's a reason yeah. it's not. So I think we're we're safe to move on from track 10. It's a fun song. It's I, Like I said, I think it's the best of the rock songs on the album. And now we're going to hear a little bit of track number 11, Corrugated Tin Facade. So honestly, this is one of the two songs I have have had the least to say about on this album. It's I, it's not that I don't like it. I like it, and I think it's perfect where it is. I just I I didn't have much to say about it. So I have things to say. Then go for it. I got you, buddy. <laughs> I got you, old pal. Because that's what you are, right, my pal? Yes. That's what people know me yeah. as. So the percussions were cool on this to me. That echoey effect. I felt that like more synthetic sound. Yeah. It's interesting to throw that in to an album that's labeled alt country, you know? I think it's mostly labeled hip hop. Either way, hip hop country, whatever you want to call it, it's interesting to throw in a more synth sound of that. That's kind of the alt of what you said, that you feel like it's alt. That's kind of the alt of it playing its role. But I think it worked. I really like the music of this. Like this felt like a Sarah song like the musically speaking i was like this is a little softer but not in like a super sad way just in a like something that could speak to me personally a little more and i think that's a good comment on what i've been saying is that this has been displaying how much of a range buck 65 has and that he's speaking to a lot of different people and that could speak to what the purpose of the album is, is that the secret uh, house against the world, looking at you as an individual, whoever that may be, you know? Yeah. Did you notice that this was also lyric light? This was another one that was like, I noticed that about the halfway mark of the song, lyrics were over. Cause like I was looking at that website, looking at the lyrics and they were done. And then I looked at the song and I saw I still had like half a song to go. 
I appreciated that. Yeah. Because the end has those very angelic chords and vocals, and it almost reminded me of a funeral procession. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, the music to this song is really great. I definitely give it there. And I don't think the lyrics are bad. No, I just meant they're minimal compared yeah, to other songs. Like Blood of a Young Wolf <laughs> or something, where he's like going a mile a minute. And yeah. I don't know if this is him telling a story or if this is him seeing his future, or I'm not sure what it is lyrically honestly again a lot of this i was just going on what i'm feeling not like what is he trying like of course i'm always going to be like what is this artist trying to say with their work but with this i felt like there was a lot of emotion behind it obviously in the in the floor and ones where there's obviously going to be a lot of emotion but even the ones less obviously so it just felt like there's a lot of emotion behind all of this and you know if we're looking at it as a whole, it being called Secret House, <laughs> secrets have a lot of emotional weight. You know, however you're looking at it, as you're literally looking at it as secrets, or if you're looking at it as what I interpreted it as, you know, these different human emotions that are bottled up inside us that we're not, you know, maybe kind of going back to the very beginning of our conversation when we were talking about what does the title mean? I wonder if that is possibly a part of it. Because you know how I was saying it's Secret House, and I was saying the house is not necessarily a place or like a building or a little literal house, but more like you as the individual. Right. What if it's like a comment on toxic masculinity and like emotions that men aren't allowed to feel or display? That's very possible. Could that be part of it? Yeah. I think that's possible. I felt like this track, this was a standout in the emotional sense. It wasn't a standout altogether for me, but I felt like it could be interpreted in a lot of different ways for what exactly it's so emotional, why you're feeling so much emotion with this. But I feel like it's just a lot of people, you know, not everyone, because like I've said, everyone's different and everyone interprets things differently. As you've said, music is very interpretive. So I just feel like the way this song is set up and the type of music he uses with this especially in comparison to the music of the other tracks it's just a good opportunity to let your listener feel yeah whatever that may be and it's another great use of the orchestral sound he's had yes throughout this album right I think it's time for your favorite, your standout line. Yes, that's what I was about to, to say. So my standout line was, he's digging a ditch, spent the day piling dirt until it hurt and went away, smiling alone and heartbroken. Looking at that line, one of the interpretations could be that this, the feeling that you're getting listening to this is loneliness, you know, standing alone and heartbroken. Yeah. And I felt that. And that's not necessarily what I felt. I wasn't necessarily feeling loneliness. I think I was more or less feeling some sort of sense of like loss or finality, right. especially with that second half of the song of it just being silent. And the feelings aren't mutually exclusive. Like there's loneliness and loss and loneliness and in, in, in those things, you know? So I just feel like uh, it can be... This song's emotionally complex. That's the way I'm going to summarize it. I, I think that's very fair to say. Well, a lot of the song is about loneliness. Or a lot of this album has been about loneliness. I think it's time we move on to a song that you can definitely not say is about loneliness. And that is the next to last track, track 12, Drawing Curtains. Show me where it hurts and then you 
before we get into it, just because it's good to say it before we talk about anything else. So when I saw the title, I had to make a note before I listened to it, period. And I said, before I even listen to this or look at the lyrics, the title alone is very telling. It's a closing of curtains, you know, literally on the album itself. But figuratively, I hypothesized, using big words here today, I hypothesized that it would be like the ending of something. I wasn't sure what, but I was like, it's going to be like the closing of of something. Because the title just kind of gave that away for me. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be right or wrong. Do you think I was right or wrong? It's definitely the closing of the album because the next track is basically the, the equivalent of a reprise. So I don't know. This is what I find funny about this is that there's a word that I don't often use to describe music unless it's doing so in a comical way. And both albums that I have done with you have brought me to use this word. This song is both sinister and sexy. I mean, you're right. <laughs> maybe, listen, this is getting a little, like, embarrassing. I'm, like, turning red. But maybe you're just, like, maybe that's just because of it. I'm here that you're, like, sexy. <laughs> sure, okay. yes. But, no, like, <laughs> even the, the sound of that synthesizer or whatever, the, like, effect on it. Yeah. It's very dark, but also. It's also, I feel like you're right that there is that, like, sexiness. Well, I mean, it's obviously about sex, too. Right. But throwing in, like, another vocalist just adds to that, making it a duet. Because, like, the most sensual songs are always the ones, not always, but you know what I mean. The most sensual songs are the, the duets between two people that are like, hey there. Right. Hey. <laughs> Let's get it on. <laughs> okay. That's my that's my sensual song that I wrote. You're going to sing it with me later, right? <laughs> sure, yes. <laughs> well, recording next week. The dual vocals works really well. There's a use of French in this song. Yes, I did write all of the French, which adds, you know, earlier I said French is the language of love in Paris. France is considered one of the most romantic cities in the world, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes sense to throw some French into this song if the purpose is to be sensual. Yeah, for sure. And the lyrics are obviously sensual, too. This is the one I was thinking of. I, I misspoke. Diamonds come up in this song. Oh, yes. So the line, you're naked except for my diamond impure evil. It goes into my theory again of, <laughs> I mean, that, that's a lot of pressure behind impure evil. Historically, there's a lot of pressure behind having sex. Not always, but like, depends on the situation, I suppose, but. I don't think this song specifically is trying to be like, there's pressure in this situation. I'm just saying, like, overall, he's trying to sprinkle some diamonds in there. So, yeah, I really don't have too much to say about this song. But I don't either. I wasn't really impressed. It's an interesting way to start winding down or to, like, net close out the album, basically, in a lot of ways. I mean, maybe it's, you know, throughout it, he's been this lonely dude wandering. So maybe it's, like, not... It's not like closure of, oh my god, I found somebody, but it's like, okay, well, here's a way to ease the pain of it. There's a little solace in this. Yes, exactly. So that's probably my takeaway from what the song is, why it's there, and what it's trying to accomplish. Otherwise, it wasn't, it was just a song. I was like, it's here. Well, wait, what was your favorite line of this song? Oh, yes. 
Yes, thank you. I wouldn't want to miss that. That's that is the Sarah segment that everyone lives for. So the standout line for this track was flowers in the rain, wildfires in the orchard, singing through the pain, I beg to feel tortured. I don't know, there was something very It's a good rhyme. Yeah, exactly. It was the rhyme of that that I beg to be tortured. Yeah. And that's that's also getting into the sexual thing too. Oh, 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 I didn't even think of that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think this is part of the ending of this album, but we're going to go ahead and play the, the final track and probably move into closing thoughts in general because the final track is track 13, Devil's Eyes, Parenthetical, Paris. Close out Secret House Against the World. Buck 65 has a French and piano only version of Devil's Eyes. I think it's seen in a lot of ways, like as a reprise. French car crash. French car crash on piano in French. My main note French car crash. Since I thought Devil's Eyes was a car crash, this is the French car crash. Yes, exactly. Like I said earlier, this made me reinterpret the second track a little more. And, and it's funny because I know when we were talking about track two, you were saying that you were seeing it more for like the love, the commentary on love, like cynical commentary on love. This one, I saw that more. I was seeing the car crash and like my whole drama with that, with the original version that he had produced and written. And, but when, when you just broke it down, like you said, to just the basics of the piano and just putting it all in French... I was like, okay, it's honestly the French sensualizes it similar to the previous track. So I could see, I almost felt like there was adultery. (laughs) Well, that was hinted on earlier. Right. So I feel like this is by stripping it down to just the, the piano. It was like, okay, it's there in your face. What's interesting about that is that it gives me a completely different feeling. Really? Stripping it down. I don't know what musical you would write to this album using these songs but i feel like the way it ends it ends a little bit the piano and the french give it a lighter feeling well right that's what i i mean like i don't mean like it's darker necessarily i mean so with track two it was more complex to me and with track 13 it's simpler so it's similar to what you're saying just in a different interpretation is you're saying that the meaning behind the song for you is lighter in this version. For me, it's simpler. Right. So we're it's the same idea we're expressing just from different viewpoints of how we interpreted the song. But I feel like when we're circling into the end of the album talk anyways, but I feel like this is a good way to end this album. And I feel like even though I consider this song a, a low point for me too, I wouldn't really search this one out. I feel like it makes sense playing it here. I guess. I almost was going to say to just cut it out completely. Because, you know, us talking about it, I like ending. <laughs> I'm always going to bring it back. But bringing it back to when we talked about Reputation and that that album ended on like a softer note, I do appreciate when an album 
ends on that like simpler softer thing you know yeah i mean this is the softest song on the whole album oh yeah definitely so i like that soft resolution i can appreciate that so from that point of view yes i think this was a good way to end it it's just it kind of felt like eh to me you would have rather ended it on drawing curtains no i wish there was another song i wish that he had used the same sound and the same emotions but like written a new song completely instead of just redoing devil's eyes in french in a softer tone okay well i think it's safe to say it's not a standout standout track for either of us no but it does conclude this album so what would you like to say about this album wrapping up I would like to say that I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. To be fair, you knew and liked some songs already on it. Right, right. I knew some of them already. But I was also like, well, he showed me like the high points of this album, obviously, because Jonathan doesn't go about being like, let me show you a mediocre song off this album. It's always like, you got to hear this song. Let me play like the best song so that you'll get interested in this artist or this work or whatever. Right. So that's why I was like, well, this is like, so if you're showing me the best songs, of course, I'm like, well, this is what he thinks I'll like the best off this album. So what if the rest of the album is just not good? I'm not for it. And to an extent, that was true because the two songs you had showed me from this album were, in my opinion, and based on what we talked about, your opinion, the, probably the best songs and the standouts of the album. However, there were other songs that I still enjoyed and appreciated. So I, I ended up enjoying this more. Like I said, I think this album really shows Buck 65's range. And it shows someone, like you said, I think this is a good example of how he does the mending or the like compilation or the coming together of different genres successfully in ways that other artists don't really do. No, not at all. Coming away from this album, for me, listening to it, I mean, I've, I've loved this album for a long time now, but listening to it here for this, I think about some of these songs, even as we're discussing, I don't like them as much by themselves, but when you put them in the context and the energy of the transitional energy of this album, they become so strong. Yeah, I, to speak on that, I kind of hated when I'd have to take notes on it because I hated having to break it up track by track. I preferred listening to this as a whole. I enjoyed it the most when I just played it, was doing other things, was working, whatever, and just let myself experience it as a whole rather than have to like stop and be like, okay, that was a song. I think it really, it accomplishes what it needs to best by being played as a whole. It's the album, it's, you know, your podcast is the art of the album and there's less appreciation these days for albums as a whole in pop music, you know, maybe not so much as in underground or like, you know what I mean? But because of the way that music is consumed now, that it's mostly streaming and people can skip around and there's more demand for access than there is ownership. So people don't see as much of a need. They can pick and choose what songs they like off an album. And there's less appreciation these days for, okay, well, let's look at the album as a whole. This is this is a generalization. This isn't like... Well, that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my point being that this is an example of something that really worked well as a whole. And if you were to... if 
someone were to come and just pick and choose songs, I don't think it they would really be appreciating the art and the work that was put into this album. Yeah, although I do say those standouts that we, we both picked, those are fine just to listen to them as a song. And Yeah, but I would still say listen to it in the entirety of the album. If you've already listened to the album, okay, and you're like, I don't have time to listen to a 45-minute album right now, then fine, listen to the two standouts we talked about. But don't do that until you've heard the whole thing, yeah. sir. <laughs> well, is there anything else you'd like to say? Taylor Swift. <laughs> All right. Well, anyone that enjoyed our banter here can also go check out Bite of Passage. There'll be some uh, info in the show notes about it, I'm sure. We get even crazier there. I yell a lot. I, I'm i not proud of it, but I'm also kind of proud of it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed talking about Buck 65 with you. Thanks for letting yeah. me share this album with you. And I hope to be back soon to discuss maybe another Taylor Swift album or maybe a different album, but hopefully I get to choose next time <laughs> all right thanks again yeah thanks for having me and with that we come to the close of another episode of new ears sarah and i would both like to remind you to check out bide of passage It is a Twilight podcast, but it's not just for Twilight fans. There will be more information in the episode description, and while you're there, you can check out where to reach out to this podcast. We always want comments and suggestions and interpretations. In the next episode of New Year's, we will be covering the swan song of Fugazi, The Argument. Really looking forward to this conversation, and also we'll have a little bit of a bonus episode to follow it, so please stick around. we got a lot of good stuff coming. Be good, stay safe, and thanks for listening. is an abandoned mascot production and part of the abandoned mascot network a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs for more information follow us on twitter at abandoned masco one that's abandoned m-a-s-c-o and the number one thanks for listening